Take your Bible, if you would, please, and remain standing while we read God's Word together. We continue a study in Titus chapter 2, and uh, today, very, very important subject. They all are, but uh, we continue some of our thoughts that we've been going through for the last several weeks, and I'm amazed at how uh, the Word of God always dovetails with where we are in our lives and in the life of our church, in the, uh, the, the, the whole cultural setting and all the rest of that. So let me read these words and pray, and then uh, we'll get right into our study. Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, we'll read through verse 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Almighty God, our Father, thank You for this opportunity to wrap up this year, this calendar year, with the opportunity to worship You and to praise You. Thank You for the reminders and the words that we have been singing to you, praises to you. Thank you for the, the reminder of, of our salvation. And, and Lord, I pray that as we wrap up this year and as we look forward to a new year that we would do so with a sense of incredible gratefulness for what you have brought us through. Not everything has been easy, Lord, but you have seen us through this past year, and we look forward with great anticipation to how you will be in charge of everything that goes on in our lives in the coming days. And so here we are today, and we want to learn what Titus has said, not only to a group of young believers uh, many years ago, but also to us today. So I pray for your guidance, for your wisdom, as I want to lead out the meaning and apply it to all of us here today, young and old. So I thank you, and I praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin by just saying thank you for the many words of encouragement for Jan and me as we celebrated Friday, uh, our 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, I, uh, I could say a lot about that. Uh, one thing is, I, and I told her just this last week, honey, looking back on the pictures of when we were younger, I have no idea what you saw in me. Uh, but uh, the grace of God is really good. And uh, so we have, you, you know, a marriage is work. And so we have, we have put a lot into it, and by the grace of God, He gave us uh, three wonderful children. And it's, it's really a blessing, too, when you have kids that live out of state. Uh, all, all of our kids and grandkids are, are here today, and uh, that is a blessing. We had three Christmases, so wow, we, we, we're Christmased out, and then we had a wonderful celebration with our family on Friday night, and uh, you, you know, th this, this is really kind of a defining time for me, and uh, we, we always come to the end of the calendar year, look to the new calendar year, and we think back, and we think forward, and, and I was thinking this morning, oh my goodness, uh, you know, 50 years of marriage, um, and realizing that this coming spring, I will enter into my 19th year as pastor here at Heritage Baptist Church. So I have been, I have been uh, your teaching pastor um, for a, a, about a, a little bit more of 
the third of the time that I've been married. And uh, so that, that is significant in itself. And as I was thinking about the, the, the study that is before us today and some of the, the words that, that, that Titus is being encouraged by, the, the one word, and Jonathan, thank you for the songs just kind of weaving into this, the one word that to me captures the heart of, of our marriage and the message of Scripture and the entire Christian faith is the word salvation. Amen. Salvation. I'm glad I grew up with that word. There are some of you who didn't, and I'm so grateful that even though there along the way I was told that I had to be careful using that word because it was archaic, it was out of step with a lot of modern sensibility. And when I think back onto that, I am glad that I that I learned that word growing up. And even though I struggled in my younger days with staying true to the faith and, and then the Lord being gracious and bringing me back to the faith, I'm glad for my salvation. I'm, I'm glad that I know according to the Word of God that I have been saved from the penalty of my sins by the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. I am so grateful for that. I am glad that I have been saved so I don't have to go to hell. That was my first understanding of it. But I'm glad that I get to go to heaven. I'm glad that I am saved from the enemy of my soul, the devil, so I don't have to always act like him. And I'm glad that I'm saved from another enemy, myself, my own fallen flesh that I have to work out my salvation with every day so that I don't not only I, I don't have to act like the devil, but I don't have to act in the way my old fallen human flesh used to act. And I'm glad I'm saved so that I can, and I'm learning this, that I can act more like Jesus and live more for Jesus every day. You know, Jan and I got married December 29th, and the next week, literally, we were enrolled in Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. And I went there. I went to a secular college, okay? And so I went to Southwestern Seminary really anticipating that it would be a haven of sanctification. Now, I, I really did... I, I appreciated the fact that most of the profs prayed before the classes and, and, and a lot of the, the students there and the professors that they really wanted to walk with the Lord. But I learned the reality that no matter where you are, no matter your family and what you're seeking to do in terms of, of working out, as I said a few moments ago, your salvation, we have to stay with it daily. And if we don't, guess what's going to happen? You don't just get there by drifting. In fact, if you don't work to pursue the working out of your salvation, then this is probably what's going to happen. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift. And I see it all the time. I, I see it probably every Sunday. I don't know what's going on behind those eyes and behind that face, but there could be even some people here who you look good, you're freshly scrubbed and cleaned, and you're sitting here, you got your Bibles open or your, your device that you're looking at the 
at the Word. But even now, you could be drifting. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And so that basically is what Paul is instructing Titus about right here in this passage of Scripture. We've been going over the last couple of weeks, and we'll, I, I'm not sure that we'll finish all of it. We might get down to verse 14, but he's instructing him because here is what happens so subtly. We start out with grace, and we begin to get a little bit off with the concept of grace. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Because grace is free, grace forgives, totally we believe that. And so very subtly, here's what happens, at least it's happened in my life, and I'm sure that it's happened in many other lives here today, that growing out of a misunderstanding, a misapplication of grace, we begin to tolerate our cherished sins. And then that tolerance, if not checked, by the Holy Spirit and the Word, or maybe by someone who just loves us enough, that tolerance begins to be accepted as normal. And then that acceptance turns to contentment. And even with believers, and that's dangerous enough, but if you're a non-believer and you get to that place of a seared conscience, maybe even covered by a veneer of niceness. I was talking about seminary a few minutes ago, and, I, oh, I, you know, most, most of the people we knew were just fine people. I, there was one couple that we got to know. They lived in the housing. It, it was some old military barracks that had been converted, and we were in one. They were on another side. Got to know them. And I, I was shocked, as, as, you, as you would imagine, when we learned one day that the wife was, was dead. And she was dead at the hand of her husband. Seminary students, that, doesn't that give you some out? And they'd gotten into an argument. The argument had escalated, and he had become so, so angry that he killed her. It was brutal. It, it was really brutal. I won't even say all of it. But, but th there's this kind of being shocked into reality of somehow, somewhere along the line, that young man failed to allow grace to train him. See, grace doesn't just save us and leave us. Grace trains us to do one thing, put away negative, and do the other thing, put on the positive. And so with that is kind of a wake-up call that we all need it. Let's look at the three movements. I've divided up the Scriptures, 11 through, through 14. We considered one passage about the appearing of our Lord, the second coming of Christ. We considered that last week, so I'm not going to be covering that, but I'm, I'm ordering this so that we can walk through this and talk about what it means that the grace of God trains us, is training us, believer, to do certain things. So let's look at it. You see the outline there. I'll just read from it, and we'll move through it. For the grace of God is presently training us. Here's the negative. This is how not to live as a believer. It's training us to renounce, and he uses two words there, two summary words, ungodliness and worldly passions. 
So right now, wherever you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, now if you're not a believer, then, then grace is there and it is available for you to respond by repenting and by turning by faith to Jesus Christ so you can enter into a relationship where you're His child. But if you are His child, we need to continue to let that grace of God train us. And again, let me say, it is a gross misunderstanding that grace leaves us in a neutral or a passive position in our walk with the Lord. It was the factor behind our initial salvation. But I just listened to testimonies about how people grew up in church and they received supposedly the grace of God. They got saved from hell and maybe they stayed in church through their high school years because of their parents' influence, translate pressure. They made them come, but once they were out and maybe went away from their church, they just left it all. And so we need to be reminded that if God's great God's grace is sufficient to save us from the penalty of sin, then it is also sufficient to continue to train us to get away from the very sin that we say that we've been saved from. Apparently, God expects us to continue in grace training. You got it? I really believe that that is not a concept that a lot of people, at least in my generation, grew up with. We just got saved by grace, and you're on your own. You go out and do whatever. But grace is in the process of training us to do something. What is that something? Renouncing. That's the word he uses, renounce. It's an interesting word. It says, I've, I've got to renounce. The same, the same word was used of, in, in a strength and form of when Peter renounced. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace of God trains us to renounce something. This attitude that I mentioned a minute ago that Paul spells out in Romans chapter 6, here is a classic question and answer set up in his teaching in Romans where he was dealing with people who, well, they've been saved by grace. Oh, I've been saved by grace. That means I can sin all I want to. Because that, that sin has been forgiven. And Paul has an answer to that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Sin more, more grace. He says, by no means perish the thought. How can we who died to sin still live in it. And that's why I've come to understand, and I'm sure that you have too, that because sin and my own flesh and the world and the devil never takes a day off, I'm always in training. That word train, it's the word padeo. The noun is padon. It means to train up a child. And how do you train up a child? Do you just give the child the instruction sheet and then leave? No. You, you, you look at the child. You learn the child's ways, the strengths, the weaknesses of the child. And then you fit the training to that child. And you train up that child according to what God has created him to be or her to be. And the promise goes with it that even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's the word that is used here. Now, notice that it's not just an instruction kind of thing, not just a training for a vocation, where that it doesn't matter what you're like in the heart. Really what this has to do with, much like the instruction and the training up of children, 
It has to do with an instruction of the heart. You're training character. And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Character is so vitally important. You might be the smartest guy on the block, but if you do not have the character, you're not going to keep a job. Unless maybe you're a politician. That was off the cuff, I'm sorry. In the world, there are some ways you, get with, you, you can get away with those kinds of things. But hear me. This is so vitally important that we are training, and God is training us, first of all, for character. And that includes a very intentional instruction, information, persuasion, modeling, correction, Do you have to ever correct your children? That's that's a part of the whole training process, all Scripture. That's what we use. All Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for these four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And sometimes, now I'm overlaying this, this is the word that's used for our being trained by God's grace. Okay? So this is a picture of how God trains us. And sometimes His training of us can feel hard. Sometimes it includes chastisement because whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. He chastens every son whom He receives. Now, I tried my best to find that root word, but immediately when I saw that Greek word, and it looked kind of like it, I never could actually make the connection. But to me, I, I had this visual because paidon almost sounds like Padawan. For those of you who are uninitiated in the ways of the force, what was a Padawan? A Padawan was a young apprentice. He learned from a master. He would emulate that master, hopefully, and be under him. And we are learning from the master. Grace trains us, young Padawans, to follow the master. Revelation 3 19. Let, let's just expand this. Does God have His grace training us as a church? Mm-hmm. Let me just put this in here. Sometimes we so individualize our Christianity that, that we forget that we, we are a body, and, and, and the New Testament church was made up of these local assemblies. Yes, they were visible and they were a part of the invisible church that was universal. We understand that, but the church is so vitally important that it's not just a you thing and a me thing. It's not just you instructing your children and grandchildren about how to walk in the Lord, how to renounce certain things. It's for us as a church. And he said this, those whom I love, almost sounds like the Hebrews verse, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, here's the easiest thing in the world to do, and there are plenty of them, is to look down the street at another church who's not quite where we are in in what we do and what we believe. They've got to answer to the Lord and not us. We have to answer to the Lord for ourselves. And so let's make sure that not only as individuals, but also as the church, that we are being zealous 
and we are repenting of anything that we are doing that is not conforming to the image of Christ. And unless you believe in instant sanctification, this is the course that God has got you on. Okay? Grace is training you. We're in a grace training boot camp in which there is unlearning and there is learning. Are you with me? Okay. I have to unlearn because, unfortunately, I've got a Ph.D. in sin. Are you following me? And I'm probably about kindergarten level, maybe first or second grade in terms of godliness. So here's what had to happen from the moment I became a Christian. Now listen to me. For those of you who are young believers, you're in the, the grace teaching you godliness boot camp, all right? And so he's teaching you to unlearn certain things so that you can learn the right things. And that's why he says you renounce or you reject or you deny or you refuse or you turn your back on a certain way of living. You just say no. Here, here's one of the most basic passages of Scripture that you ought to memorize. If you're a young believer, you're desiring to follow after the Lord, this, this kind of summarizes the whole thing. Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone would come after me, watch this, what's he got to do? Well, a lot of people would say, well, follow him. But, but there's some stuff that you got to do before you can follow him. Let him deny himself. How often? Daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So there's always got to be that posture of repentance. We come to saving faith through repentance and through faith. And once we are in the family of God, we continue in a posture of repentance. And what do we repent of? What are, what are we putting away? What are we saying no to? Look at the two things. What are we saying no to? We're saying no, first of all, to ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Well, just the word godly and put un in front of it. It's any way in which I am not walking according to the character of God, His nature, which can be defined by His moral law, His holy law. So we're not talking religion here. We're not talking about how you dress when you come to church or the words that you might happen to say or any of those kinds of outward trappings. We're talking about something that gets to the heart. So that we're to renounce anything that is ungodly. We could just, we could just walk all the way through the commandments of God. And look at that. What is godly? Well, the first commandment says that you're to worship Him alone. Ungodly would be to worship anything else. Godly is not let anything become an idol to you. Ungodly is when you let all kinds of things become idols to you. Godly is when you use your words to edify and to build up and to bless God. Ungodly is when your words are profane, blasphemous, and they do not edify others or praise the Lord. Do you want me to continue? This is just, this is so simple. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. This learning to renounce, but we need to go on into things like worship and into things like relationships. And that whole thing about that, that seminary student who murdered his wife, I don't believe that when he came home from class that day, I don't know what particular class he had just had. Maybe it was a class on ethics. I'll bet it wasn't in his mind, at least in the front, to murder his wife. 
But he did because he, listen, he did not deny, he did not renounce ungodliness, the sixth commandment. Doesn't just say don't commit murder. It says give life, be a life giver. He did not deny that particular application of ungodliness. Attitudes, actions, thoughts, those things can ultimately get you. Ungodliness could also be defined, Romans 1.18, we see how vicious this is. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And, and most of you have read Romans 1, and you see the downward spiral of sin that just begins with that not being willing to renounce ungodliness. There's a second thing. What is it? Worldly pleasures. An enchantment with the ways of the world, again, that are opposed to God. Not everything that is in the world is evil. And this is where we have to be so careful. It's so easy. Many of us grew up in church. I grew up in a Baptist church. We had our Baptist list. You know what I'm talking about? The Methodist down the street, they had another list. And sometimes the list didn't go together. So we could look down our spiritual noses at those Methodist because they partook of some worldly pleasures that we said were wrong. They could look down their noses at us ungodly Baptists because we partook of some pleasures that they would say was wrong. But it has to be something that God defines. And what happens is, and it's so subtle, again, all of these things are subtle. They can happen to really nice people. But when we get to the point that we say, follow me, no to nothing, then that could lead to a fixation on the temporal and the fallen. That is a classic picture of the parable of the sower and the third soil. Do you remember that? In the third soil, it says the seed was sown, and here, here was the bush that sprang up. But it said certain things also came up with it that were already there. They were already in the soil. And if you put the three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke together. Let me just read to you what they were. This is a perfect picture of this, these worldly pleasures. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, pleasures of the world, and it says, and they grew up and they choked the word. And so that's why the Apostle Paul tells Titus, you've got to do this. Pleasure, power, possessions. And to give a summary of what we need to renounce, it is godlessness and indulgent living. Repenting of drifting back into not saying no. In which we can grow callous and insensitive and we give in to cultural accommodation. I'll give you two verses, one from the new and one from the old. It says this about New Testament believers. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. That may be more than sexual sensuality, all kinds of sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Jeremiah adds to this a, a really Stunning picture, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Church, I pray that we will never lose that sensitivity of being able to blush. 
Not over just the things that other people do, but many times over the things that we do. So you live out of repentance continually. You repent. Maybe some of you today right here, you need to repent of drifting. Okay? Maybe you get to the end of the year and you say, whoa, I've drifted. I thought I would be at a different place at the end of 2023. And, And I... No turning over a new leaf, not those kinds of things, but repenting and saying, Lord, help me, please, to apply your grace that will train me to renounce ungodliness and worldly pleasure. But that's so something else can take its place. You not only say no, learn how not to be a believer, but also how to live as a believer. It's not just saying no, it's also saying yes. Grace teaches us to say yes to the things that are pleasing to God. I, I, I pray for my family daily, and one of the things I pray for my children and for my grandkids, God, please help them to hate the things that you hate and have a passion for the things that you love. I pray that for you. I pray that for myself. And that's what the grace of God will train us. Let's look at these things. To live, boy, this word is used so much. I wonder why. (laughs) And particularly after we've all overindulged during the Christmas holidays, to live self-controlled. Oh, that has so much more to do than just the eating. Upright and godly lives in this present age. And it's all over the Bible. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. Paul says it like this to the Ephesians. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. No one coasts his way into heaven. So the opposite of renounce is live. And again, we're in the the grace that trains boot camp. And we're going to be there until either you go home to be with him or he comes back to get you. Now watch what Paul does. Look, he he mentions three things. I, I... saw this with a commentator, helped me to see this, but really this is in three different arenas of life, self-controlled. So he says, first of all, you need to let grace train you in terms of your own life. Self, self-controlled, what does that mean? To be sensible, listen to me. And children, some of these words, talk to your parents about this. What does it mean to be sensible? What does it mean to have self-mastery? To be able, by the word, to master yourself. What does it mean to be a person of purity? It means a lot. I'm just telling you the struggle with impurity. If if, If you believe it's not impacting people in the church, you're you're just you're sadly wrong, you're mistaken. And see, it's not just saying no, it's not just a turning away. It's it's a whole mindset of discipline. Here is something that I've shared with with guys particularly. Women, I'll share it with you too. But what do you do when you do have that that evil thought, that ungodly thought? And it could just, you could click off the Ten Commandments and it can be uh, uh, the fruit of any one of those, the ungodly kind of thing. What do you do? Take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And determine, let grace train you not to be conformed to the world. The world's going to tell you it's okay. 
when it's really not okay. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, by testing, discern the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I was thinking back to something that when my son was in high school, I, I think I've shared this with you before, but he had a group of guys and they were trying to help each other be accountable. And uh, so they would uh, be at a particular place, see a pretty girl, And one of them would ask the other if they saw their eyes beginning to wonder. Say, hey, are, are you jobing it? Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Now, this is just one little slice of an application, but it's a good application. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gaze on a young virgin. Well, there's power if you, if you get into the grace training, you young men, older men, median men, women. I, I, the wiring is a little bit different, but I'm telling you guys, get, get some accountability. Now, here's the thing that I've learned. It's when you make that covenant with your eyes, it's not just saying no to the gaze that could become ungodly. Are you tracking? It's doing something positive. See, grace trains you not to just say no, but to put on that which will edify. So why not, instead of just looking away, why not? fill that gap and pray for that young lady that you may not even know. Pray that the Lord would bless her today. Pray that the Lord would keep her, keep her pure. Pray that, just, just pray a number of things. It will not only lift you, but if you happen to be with some other guys, it will lift them as well. Christianity is not just a bunch of don'ts. It, it is that, but it is also what we do to live as a believer. And we're putting off and we're putting on. So there, there's the self. Okay, upright lives. That's with your neighbor. Living righteously before others. By the way, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Just the person who lives next door to you? Could it be the person sitting next to you? Could it be a person in your family? Could it be a person here in church? Who's your neighbor? So in order to, to be trained in godliness, the grace of God is training us to live upright before our neighbors with a sense of integrity and honesty, and I'll add it again, purity and humility Add your own helpfulness, self-denial, and that's the way grace trains us to live, not only self-controlled lives, but upright lives and then godly lives. Grace trains us, and we must train ourselves. This is as we relate to God. Train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value, with all those resolves that you're making after the first of the year, okay, make that other one rich. Thank you for the exhortation to read the Word daily and, and to make that a part of what you do. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Setting God apart is our only object of worship. Now, let me finish with this, okay? Our great God and Savior, you see that, that last part on our outline. And, and I want to just talk about legacy. Legacy. I've been thinking a lot about legacy, all right? You, you would think that 
This would be a good juncture to think about that. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a mouthful. Wonderful, wonderful picture of the deity and the humanity of Christ all rolled into one is redeeming us. See, here's what he does. He says, okay, guys, you're responsible. Work out your salvation, renouncing and train, being trained in godliness. But then he steps back and says, you know what? Let's focus on what God is doing in your life because without his work, it's all for naught. He is redeeming us from all unlawlessness. He is purifying for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Conversation with a friend a while back. I like it when friends ask good questions that make me think. He said, Marty... What do you think your legacy is going to be at Heritage? Wow. Well, we talked about it. Uh, There there are several things. I hope that one of the things that a value for God's Word, we we just plow through it. Nothing flashy, for sure. Just plow, just, just let the Word of God and the Spirit of God help people and trans, transform people into being more like Jesus Christ. But I think in light of this passage, a legacy for my marriage, a legacy for my family, a legacy for the church, and by the way, this could be for you as well, that salvation would really take hold. That's what this is all about. And that by Him. See, at the end of the day, it's not what I have done, it's what He does. And grace is not a thing or a force. Grace is a person. It is contained in a person in His work toward us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not first a focus on what we do for God. It's first a focus on what He has done for us. He's redeemed us. He's, this is a picture of the marketplace where, where they, they redeem slaves. Think Hosea and Gomer. When he went and he bought her, he, he redeemed her. And how that we have become His chosen people. I love the King James in this. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the King James translates this next one, a people for His position, possession. You know what the King James says, don't you? A peculiar people. I love that. It just means His own special people. And He has redeemed us. For that, before we focus on sin management, that's one of the easiest things to take away from a sermon like this. Do better. Get this stuff in line. Stop doing. Start doing. I I really don't want you to focus on sin management, but rather focus on intimacy with God. And that's the key. When you're reading your Bible in in the morning with your cup of coffee and you're praying to Him, focus on intimacy with Him, and that will bring that incredible change of heart. 1 John says it like this, Beloved, we are God's children now. It has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, if this is your lifestyle, you you can repent today, but everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because 
he has been born of God. And that's why he uses this marvelous, marvelous imagery of purifying for himself his own people. You look that up, that word is used primarily of purifying lepers. And that's what we are without him. We are lepers in sin. He purifies us as a people who are zealous for good works. The whole context, zealous for good works, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, so that the grace of God might be accomplished in us. I want you to bow your heads. And as we uh, think about the things that we have said today, I just pray for those who are my brothers and sisters, younger or older, uh, that today's message might have revealed something, that His Holy Spirit would have revealed some area that you have just let slide, coast, fallen in it, and perhaps you've made that downward spiral into an ungodly lifestyle. And you know it's wrong. And let the grace of God train you today to say no to ungodliness and no to those other forms of worldly passions and to say yes to following after Him, knowing that you are truly redeemed by Him and that you're His child and that He will allow His grace to train you in that. If you're here today without Christ, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation through maybe the reading of scriptures or something that was said in the sermon, the Holy Spirit might quicken your heart, it might come alive, and that you might turn from trying to live life on your own, fighting against God, playing like you are God, that you would turn from that and that you would turn by faith to Jesus Christ to shed His blood for sinners like you. You would say, Lord Jesus, I need you, and I ask that you save me from my sins. Well, wouldn't it be great today to be able to go out of this place fully forgiven, knowing that you're saved, knowing that the outworking of that salvation will continue? So I pray that. Father, we thank you now that you have given us this time, and I pray that you would help people to respond appropriately to what they have heard today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you have done in 2023. We look forward to the new year and all that, that you hold for us. And we thank you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name.